Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, this is Kirk, and I'm guessing you're not feeling too good today. Guess right. I unsubscribed. It hurts, don't it? But I warned you, I was very clear, and I'm sure you're out now with your circle of friends, eating ice cream and shopping. That's good for you, you know? You do what women do. You shop, you gossip, and you don't hoop. You don't make people listen to you talk about you hooping. Also, I was wondering, because I, I like the sound of your voice. I don't know what you look like. I don't know if you're good-looking or not, but your voice is sexy. So would you like to get a drink sometime? I, 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 me, I drive a 4x4, I'm usually wearing a Nuggets game jersey, so, you know, I'm not a loser. So, if you're up for it, just hit me on uh, Parlor. I go by the handle, that's what she said, 1546. Funny. Okay, I'll hear from you soon, I hope. Bye. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass, I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Is it bad if I call Kirk back, Kate? Did you get his handle? Did you get the you got the number? I mean, Nuggets fan. That's what she said. Yeah, it was. That's what she said. Like five one nine nine or something like do that. Do you have Do you have parlor? Um, no, maybe. No, I don't. But I mean, if you I did, do love no ice judgment. cream and shopping. No judgment if you did. <laughs> Thanks. Um, do you think you'd get ice cream with me? Maybe, maybe go shopping. I mean, as long as you get maybe frozen yogurt or low fat. You know, you gotta. You know, you can't mm-hmm. be eating full fat ice cream. Not, yeah, not, not with a guy like Kurt. No, no. And I mean, shopping. I don't know if he if he's still thinking about malls or if cyber shopping is okay. Yeah. But those are those are two things I do enjoy doing: is eating ice cream and shopping. They might be my two favorite activities. Yeah. Yeah, well, Kirk from Fort Collins, um, we I appreciate, you know, lo- the opposite of hate not being love, but apathy. At least Kirk from Fort Collins doesn't seem to be apathetic about Off the Looking Glass. No, that's true. I think that's a great, that's a great start for us. <laughs> All right, we have the legend from Astoria, Queens, who's one of my all-time favorite players, Shamiqua Holtzclaw. Is oh my gosh, today. That's, that's a big right. get. Uh, we also have an extra extra that Kate is enlightening me about. It's a little story about Pat Summit. That's right. We're keeping that Tennessee volunteer theme. And also, along the way, we have a few surprises, including a little trip to the multiverse. Ooh, I'm nervous. Let's do it. Have you ever, or would you ever... Let someone win. No. Wait, win what though? But no. <laughs> I mean, specifically, I'm talking about a league of their own and the controversy over Dottie's motivations at the end of a league of their own, whether she dropped it on purpose or whether it was knocked out. We are four shows into Off the Looking Glass, and we have promised at the outset to pursue numerous different threads. And I think it's about time we sort of took inventory on how those things are going. So right now we are still in the process of getting 
Gina Davis on the show to answer this question for us. But yes. it's sparking in my mind now, Jess, a question for you. Would you ever let someone win? No. I guess here I'm thinking of if you were playing a game of horse or if you were, no, I don't know, playing flag football with a, a younger kids. I mean, obviously you're not going to let somebody win if they're your peer, but if there's a dynamic at play, unnamed dynamic, just dynamic, would you ever let someone win? So here's the thing, Kate. A couple weeks ago, I admitted to you that I won the presidential fitness test medal, um, medal of fitness, medal of freedom, because I... No, go on. I, want I you did. To, I want this to keep happening. <laughs> I did all of the stupid little exercises, some of which I may have cheated at, which we did somehow end up cutting out of the podcast, which was wait, hilarious. No, no. You, wait, you, how wait, did you... I, how did, well, how? okay, because I, I told you, like, kind of as an aside that, like, some of the fitness test things were done while my fitness or gym teacher's back was turned. Was I hanging from the bar with my foot? Resting on something below me, <gasps> maybe. Are you going to tell on me to George Bush? I think he, who was the president at the time? Sure. Take my medal away. But that's not the point. The point is, Kate, I'm very competitive. If you've ever seen me play Monopoly Deal, you would know this. I will never, ever, ever willingly let someone beat me at Monopoly Deal, which is the sport of choice that I engage in today. I have a lot of follow-up questions. The first being, <laughs> is Monopoly Deal different than Monopoly? Oh my God, Kate, we need to play Monopoly Deal. Okay, Monopoly Deal. Monopoly Deal is my favorite sport currently. Monopoly Deal is card card game version of Monopoly where you have to collect three different sets of properties to win. It's all done via cards. There's no board. There's no pieces. There's no like, you know hotels and stuff there, there are but they're in card form it's very easy to play the game lasts like 15 minutes not like a regular monopoly game where you're playing for like six hours i should be getting paid by hasbro right now for this pitch because i can tell you want to play with me but i love monopoly deal and i'm very very competitive that is my point yeah your your voice as you talk to me about how competitive you are feels really you, you feel competitive about letting me know how competitive yes, you are exactly yes. i am the, i am competitive in being like the biggest monopoly deal fan in the world right now people are like oh okay. i like monopoly deal and i'm like not as much as i do <laughs> <laughs> i agree i agree <laughs> but okay do you, i'm gonna press on this a little further do you think there has been a situation in your life where the variables that you were dealing with were so emotional and difficult and uh, possessed gravity that letting someone win might have been the best choice for both emotion and future? Because the, the, what's set up in A League of Their Own about letting someone win is there's so much history and emotion at play. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a situation that, not as extreme as that, but where letting someone You mean win, not in a professional baseball league where I definitely was a professional baseball player? <laughs> and not during, not while you're trying to lift the nation's spirits during a world war? Um, yeah, no, those stakes are pretty high. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to let somebody win? I don't think so. I, I've, I'm the youngest. I've always been the youngest in the family. I've always been like the underdog. I never was a good like babysitter. 
I don't do well with like younger people, which I feel like the age dynamic here with Kit and Dottie is where this comes into play, right? So like I'd never been on the reverse side of that. Have you? Yeah, so I would say that I am almost universally aligned with you on this in that when I am playing something with a niece, nephew, younger child, I do not let them win at anything. My dad didn't let me win at anything. And I Same. learned a lot of I learned a lot of lessons from his behavior in that I knew when I did win that I actually won. And I also learned how to lose. I'm not saying I always did it gracefully. Mm-hmm. There was many a time where I threw the basketball at his head. Oh yeah. Or oh, at something. I'm the biggest sore loser. The biggest sore loser. And I'm I will wow. admit that freely. I am a sore loser. You actually right now seem to be competitive about what a sore loser is. I'm the biggest loser, Kate. I am a bigger loser than you. Continue with your story. (laughs) Okay, it's going to take a slightly dark turn here, but stick with me. I never thought of myself as someone who would ever let someone win. But when my dad got sick with a neurodegenerative disease, so this thing that he loved basketball, and he actually made me promise When I was a kid, and at the time he would have been like mid-30s, early 40s, he was like, when I get older, like return the favor. Don't ever pander to me and let me win. And of course, at the time, I'm like, whatever. But when he started getting sick and we were kind of playing serious, but he was struggling, there were times when I could have, like, when he was going up for a shot, knocked the ball out of his hand. Or I could have chased down a rebound a little bit harder, but I kind of let him get to it. I don't know how I feel about this now. It just, it felt so emotional to me at the time that I not rob him of this identity, which he held closer to himself than I did at the time of like, oh, my identity of like being good at basketball felt less important to me in that moment than his identity of still being an athlete while facing this disease. And I broke my promise. There were times when we would play where I would kind of pull the reins back a little bit and so I'm comparing that in a very you know it's it's not it's not a one-to-one mapping onto Dottie and Kit but it 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 might be part of the reason why I do feel that Dottie let the ball drop on purpose because even if you are a super competitive person who really across their life never lets anybody win there are these moments when emotions really press on you where you you change that in a split-second decision because you see how much it might mean to the other person's identity and, and value and confidence. Wow. Yeah, okay, that's an interesting theory. I guess this also isn't like a one-to-one comparison, but my mom is currently battling side effects from brain cancer, and if I went to her hospital room right now with a deck of Monopoly deal cards, I would whoop her ass three out of three times. So <laughs> I don't know, Kate. I just can't see myself ever letting someone else win. <laughs> Hey, this is Kara Goucher. My whole team, we worship Lynn Jennings. Lynn Jennings is a three-time World Cross Country Champion. She's one of the few athletes to like make it into Sports Illustrated. We worshiped her. So we come to practice one day and there's a letter from Lynn Jennings. And she's like, I heard about your team. I'm so impressed. Keep up the good work. We all think we're like best friends with Lynn Jennings. Years later, I meet Lynn Jennings. <laughs> My coach totally made it up, and, you know, I had to ask him, like, as an adult, like, 
did Lynn Jennings write? And he's like, no, I met Lynn Jennings. And I'm like, that's so cool that you wrote to my high school. And she's like, I'm sorry, who are you? You cannot get more iconic than our next guest. The first woman on the cover of Slam magazine and on it wearing a Knicks jersey to honor her queen's roots. Four consecutive New York State titles at Christ the King, which led to three consecutive NCAA titles playing for Pat Summit at Tennessee. She was a third of the legendary Three Meeks, who ruled the hardwood and went 39-0, winning the 1998 NCAA title. And they were like the Beatles that year, selling out arenas everywhere they went. Number one draft pick in the WNBA and rookie of the year. And yet somehow, Beyond all that hardware, perhaps her biggest contribution to the game has been her outspokenness about mental health. Her book is Breaking Through, Beating the Odds, Shot After Shot. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on. Shamiqua Holdsclaw. It's a relief to have you on, Shmiqua, because I'll tee you up a little bit here, give you some background to um, this podcast and a little theory we have about UConn that I have promised the audience I will ask every guest that comes on unless they have nothing to do with basketball. And then what's the point? And my theory is that UConn has an outsized influence in women's basketball. And this was born out of my belief that Neka Agumake would have made the Olympic team if she had gone to UConn this past summer. That UConn at every level, the way that they exert control, and I'm not saying it's like, you know, malicious or anything, but it's just they have so much control at every level. I don't think there's a comp in sports, in, you know, college football or in the, like NBA about a team at every level having this kind of influence. I have run this theory by Renee Montgomery. She doesn't agree. I have run it by Stewie, also doesn't agree. (laughs) But we've gotten some people who listen to the show who get it, who understand what we're trying to say. And so it's good to have a former Lady Vol on. Right. What's your opinion on, you know, UConn and the influence that it has in the women's game? Oh, wow. So, um, you know, as a former athlete, as someone who competed against UConn during those uh, amazing years when Coach Summit and Gina were going back and forth, to see how they've just been able to really grow the sport, it's a special thing. Um, And a lot of respect goes to them because Gina is doing a great job of bringing, in this day and age, tremendous players together that want to play together and everybody's shining. And then they're going on, you know, just like you said, in different um, areas, you know, going on to WNBA and doing an amazing thing. So my hat goes off to them. I mean, they are, you know, a force to reckon with, I would say. So You're so <laughs> diplomatic. I'm going to have a follow-up on this. <laughs> okay. Because okay. I feel like I should expand some of our theory, right? Well, and Jess, Jess went to Notre Dame. So, you know, not a Yukon-loving, like, bastion in the Midwest there. Uh-huh. So part of my theory is that I think people don't quite understand that UConn being so close to Bristol, Connecticut and ESPN is a huge piece. And here's a part that I think I wonder how you feel about it. I also feel like Gino being near ESPN and speaking that kind of middle management, like, you know, middle-aged white dude language was helpful for UConn back in the 90s. 
And like Pat Summit wasn't going up to Bristol and like shaking hands. Right, right. So it, I just feel like sometimes people aren't fully aware of like the outsized, the outside influences that has helped make UConn UConn that couldn't have existed really anywhere else. Oh, definitely. And it's like you said, Bristol's there and then you're a couple hours from New York City, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they've definitely, those doors have opened. I'm sure Gino is shaking a lot of hands and growing it up. You know how it goes. Uh, women's sports, uh, He's a male. He's good. He's successful. So he was definitely um, able to open some doors, I'm sure. And then it was like so much excitement, just UConn in general. And you couldn't leave the ladies out because I think it's one year uh, the men and women won, right? So, you know, men's sports is like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then you got the women, too. And then you got two male coaches. I, I want to say I, I'm going to say Coach Calhoun is maybe is he Italian also. <laughs> yeah let's say I, it let's say yeah, let's say yeah. it and you know and it's, and it's that battle between them because I know that they didn't have the best relationship so that all plays a part into the excitement of it you know it's kind of like mysterious what's going on you know why, why don't they get along did you almost go to UConn yeah it was one of my it was one of my choices and you know I I have so much respect for the program I think in women's sports People are really scared to rock the boat. Jess, you and I keep pressing, as promised in the first episode of this show, we keep pressing this idea of Yukon privilege. And I'm acknowledging right now that we're finding it hard to get other people to express opinions about it, perhaps because those opinions don't exist, perhaps because we're wrong. I'm willing to acknowledge that that's possible. Um, we could be wrong. We could also be just running into people not wanting to, like, light their potential future earnings on fire because UConn runs the world, Kate. <laughs> Boom! That's it. Perhaps, so perhaps we're wrong. Perhaps it's what you said. And perhaps it's a blend of those two things included along the way with this idea that what I've noticed in years being around women's sports is that there's the belief that there is a pie and it's very small and we all need to just have our little small piece of the pie and not mess with anything and just be happy with what we've gotten. Don't say anything bad about anybody because we're all just, we all just have to be positive and upbeat and happy and grateful that we have a pie at all. Mm. Instead, and I know you'd appreciate this because you love baking. Oh, I love baking. So, yeah. I belong so, in the kitchen, Kate. When people are like, stop talking about football, get back in the kitchen, I'm like, can I do both? Because baking while yes. I watch football is like my favorite thing to do on the weekends. But continue. <laughs> and I'm always of the position, why are we just happy with our little pie? As tasty as it is, let's grow it. Let's get the pie bigger. Like, we don't need to just be happy and be nice to everybody and say nice things and like let's make sure that everybody is praised and seen as as good and kind and a great role model everybody's a great role model all like that's that's how we have sold women's sports for a generation is hey they play the right way and they're role models and those are important things to strive for certainly but often if we're keeping with this metaphor of the pie what's missing from the recipe is a little bit of villain a little bit of spice, controversy, spice. 
And those things don't have to necessarily be manufactured because when you have sports and when you have human beings together, not everybody's getting along. Not everybody is placid all of the time and content and fine. And yet women's sports has over the last generation tried to sell itself as if it is. And so I think the, the women's sports world being a little more willing to uh, get some Kevin Durant in them, uh, you know, get a little bit of your, your burner Twitter account where you're going around and you're, you're actually saying how you really feel. I think not being scared to lose your small piece of the pie, but actually trying to realize that like being open and honest and real about the full humanity of women's sports will grow our delicious pie. That's my metaphor here. Storylines that are easier to sell are ones that involve like some type of pettiness, negativity, adversity, hatred, hero villain story, rival intense rivalry. Not yep. that it doesn't exist because it does. If you like seriously follow these sports, that does exist. But I do not think it gets as much coverage. To have a protagonist, you it works a lot better when you have an antagonist in your book, in your story. Like if you just have your hero going through without any resistance or without any sort of uh, counterbalance to their storyline, it's not very dynamic. The idea of, you know, us in, on this podcast trying to be, in some ways we're joking and we're biased about UConn. I mean, I don't hate UConn as much as I'm pretending to. I think you actually do oh, hate I do. UConn yeah. as much as you say. I yeah. hate them so much. But part of what we're trying to do is like to put pressure on that point, to put pressure on on UConn and to see the reality of like what people might say behind closed doors about UConn and UConn's influence on the game and yet what they're willing to say on the record about like the behemoth that is UConn, those, that can be two separate things. And that exists both in men's and women's sports. But I think in women's sports, you, you can see that this tendency that like you have to be likable, you have to be a role model, you have to be positive. Otherwise, this small amount of money and attention that you do get could be stripped from you. And the, I think the, that's counter, it's counterintuitive to actually realize that I don't need someone to manufacture a villain for me, but it would be a pretty cool experiment. Kate, what is going on? Whoa. Whew. What are we doing right now? What's, what's happening? I hear a sound effect. What do we do? It's a rabbit hole off of a rabbit hole. Um, so we're pretty far deep. What? Why are we rabbit holing off of a, a rabbit hole? What just let happened? Me, let me, uh, let, what let are me we lay talking it out about? for you. Yeah, so okay. we're in the middle of talking about how we need more female athletes to say how they really feel. And then what happens? Candace Parker says how she really feels. So went on Bleacher Report with Taylor Rooks and... She did the thing, Jess. She talked the talk. She talked about Gino, UConn, Team USA, a lot of themes that we'd been talking about, plus this overarching theme about wanting to know the disagreements, the beefs that players have. So before we, before we go any further, though, we should play the audio. Want to play the audio? Yes. Okay. Let's listen to what Candace Parker had to say. And so I think that based off of, like, I knew as soon as he was named the coach again, I was like, oh, uh, well. So why, <laughs> this is gonna be interesting. why do you think that is? Why do you think he did not want Candace Parker on the team? I mean, we, he doesn't like me. I don't like him. I mean, we don't like each other. But I think I am of the mindset, and this is where I think sometimes I get misunderstood a little bit. I'm of the mindset that, like, I don't have to like you to play with you. I don't have mm -hmm. to like you to work with you. 
you know? Yeah. And it's fine. Like, it's cool. They they made their decision. Um, I laugh and joke that my kids will never play USA basketball or <laughs> USA sports at all. But listen, it's a thing of the past. But I'm one of those people that's like, I get more angry at the people I love getting hurt. And what they did in NECA was unbelievable. Yeah. She you know? deserved. It's one of those things where it's like, I'm more angry at that. Mm-hmm. Because you have somebody that arguably, maybe 2000. 16, but definitely. She's the only MVP of the league. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She went and got, I think, MVP of the World Games, and then you leave her off the team. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's, you know, certain grace for certain people, and there's certain things that aren't, that you don't get grace. Yeah. There's no consistency. And listen, in that. respect to Connecticut. Connecticut continues to crank out player of the year after player of the year, right? Um, at the same time, though, like, when I was there, my four years at Tennessee, they didn't win no national championships. <laughs> talk it. Talk and it, they, <laughs> they never beat us. But yeah. I don't know. Like, that might be a soft spot. I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, because, <laughs> she, yeah, because there, we couldn't get there, listen, she's not I can only hold on to when we were there. Okay? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But listen, like, totally, I just said, because they called back in 2000 to go for 2020. And I was like. No, like I'm not. Yeah, it's like y'all doing this. did what you did. Yeah. It's like I just can't. I can't teach my daughter lessons and tell her about you know respect and treatment and communication and all this stuff and then go back to that. So I just I'm done. I'm happy. I got two gold medals. I appreciate the experience. Everyone who's listening to this should listen to that entire interview with Taylor Rooks and Candace Parker because there is so much information there, Kate, and and we need to discuss all of this because it directly impacts our conversation about UConn privilege that we have had a difficult time getting anyone from the women's basketball world to talk about. Yeah, we should even acknowledge that I think at the very top of this rabbit hole is an interview with Shemequa Holdsclaw, another Tennessee player earlier than Candace Parker, but a lady Vol, very diplomatic about UConn. Different experiences though, but we are down this rabbit hole because it's the first person and, and someone of such elite stature to actually align with what we've been saying, both about needing this dynamic interaction between players to really reveal for, for fans, heroes and villains and you know enemies as it comes to sports enemies, quote unquote sports enemies. And then in addition, speaking honestly about USA basketball and Gino and UConn. And I'm feeling, both validated and also a little I'd like to have Candace Parker on the podcast because I'm feeling like we need to chalk Candace Parker up as someone on the side of this UConn yes. outsized influence but can we yet because we haven't had her on the pod so it's sort of like it's like a distant high five it's like a virtual high five Ooh. I, do we need her to tell it to us to say UConn privilege exists <laughs> for it to count because I think this I think we put this in the win column on the Kate Jess side uh, maybe Simone Augustus also goes in that category. She seemed to be more uh, more agreeable about yeah. the UConn privilege thing without really saying it either. You know what was interesting about, uh, you know, when you listen to the full Candace interview on Bleacher Report, Candace is talking about at times doing everything USA Basketball wanted her to do, and then them she wasn't sure. It wasn't about on the court. It was like, they just didn't like her or something. It's, it's clear. Right. Like, they don't like her personality. And you kind of heard on the first episode of this show, Simone jokingly referring to the same thing. Like, you don't like my hair. You don't like my jokes. You don't like my personality when it comes to USA 
basketball. And so we'd been touching on those things. And there, in full transparency, Jess, after we laid out the, the idea of UConn's outsized influence, I, was, I wasn't sure we should go down that path. Because UConn- why? Wait, why? Because we're doing a podcast where we want to talk to a lot of awesome female athletes and a large percentage of them went to UConn. And do I want to mm, be fair? The, do I want to be the person like suggesting? And, and again, it's, it's a strange thing because you even heard Candace say it's like it's not really about UConn. It's about the world in which the culture around women's sports and how limiting it can be and how people can only have one thing, one female athlete that they cover one female team that they want to write about and it always ends up being UConn and how that perpetuates. It's not about people who went to UConn. It's not like we're, we're saying that people who went to UConn suck. Gino's but, a cheater. Who, who said that? <laughs> who was that? Was that the not UConn attendee? <laughs> By the way, no one thinks Gino's a cheater. But, Stop being a journalist for five seconds and just talk shit with me, please. It just would be so much. See, Kate, you're part of the problem. You have so much integrity. Too buttoned up. You're never going to say something without two sources. I am here as an agent of chaos. I will say what no one else wants to say, and I need you to join me, okay? You're right. I mean, well, the air down here in this rabbit hole off of this rabbit hole, it's so dark. It's leading me to think that there's no consequences for the things that we say down this <laughs> rabbit hole. The there aren't any. Thin. It's a podcast. You can say whatever the hell you want on a podcast. <laughs> the last thing I will say before I think we should probably climb our way up to at least the next layer of the rabbit hole up is that if we can, yeah, if we if we can even get out of here, I don't know. We might we might need to be stuck down here for a little while. Is that it? Did occur to me in listening to Candace Parker on Bleacher Report that there is a zero fucks attitude with Candace Parker right now because who can come at her having won a title in L.A won titles at Tennessee, and then doing the LeBron thing of going back home and taking a team that no one expected to win the title and then winning a title. Like, she is standing on ground now where she could just look around and be like, I can say whatever I want to say. I can say all the things Mm -hmm. that maybe five, ten years ago I wasn't sure I should Mm -hmm. say. And now she's like, who can come at me? I'm Candace Parker. Look at the resume. I'm going to speak the truth. Her version of the truth anyway, says the journalist in me. I do think that like we're, we're starting to see more of that, or at least it's like starting to break more into the mainstream. And it does make me feel warm and fuzzy because I love seeing people hate each other in regards to sports. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a perfect conversation with Shamiqua Holdsclaw, who was the protagonist, at least from the position of Lady Vols fans in this epic Tennessee-Yukon rivalry. I'm sure she was the antagonist to all of the the Yukon Husky fans, but it was a beautiful thing to watch at its peak when Shamiqua played in the late 90s and then into the 2000s because there was it was clear storylines. Southern Bell, Pat Summit coaches Lady Vols and like Philly-born you know, Gino leads his East Coast Huskies. And there was no love lost between those two teams. And if we can actually look to that rivalry, UConn-Tennessee, and see what lessons we can learn from it about why why people cared about that, I think there's a lot of lessons for women's sports to learn. In fact, that should be something that the UConn-Tennessee rivalry, like the origin of that, that, that we talk more about on this podcast too. I think that's like now what South Carolina UConn's becoming. Kind of. Right? No. 
Except it seems like Gino and Dawn like have a lot of like love and yeah, respect maybe. for each other. God, I hate love and respect. And like, fuck love and respect. This why? Is sports, Do we damn it. Love it? <laughs> you know where I can find love and respect? In my house, hopefully, you know? <laughs> you know and now back to the famous protagonist or maybe antagonist of late 90s college basketball, Shamiko Holtzclaw. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I'm reticent now to make it seem like I want that everything in women's basketball has to be framed against UConn, right? Because right, right. when you went to Tennessee, there's a completely different world in which Tennessee and everything that happened with Pat and Pat getting sick, all of that plays out differently. And Tennessee maintains its power in women's basketball because not everything has always been about UConn in women's basketball the way it seems now. So take us back to... You in high school, Christ the King, being at Queens, and this next generation of kids not realizing who Pat Summit is and <laughs> what she's about, right? We're, we're getting to this place where we'll see media images of her. I'm sure there will be a movie of her, but that will be a one version of her versus the real version. It'll be like that media version. So take us back to like you first meeting Pat Summit and what you remember. Well, I just remember like uh, being recruited, going to all these camps, you know, uh, I think who's my AU teammate, Lindsay Gottlieb, and she could probably tell the stories better than I can. But I just remember we would go places and Pat Summit would be in the gym. And it's just like all the players can't take their eyes off her. <laughs> it was just like she was a rock star, you know, our Jay-Z or, you know, Taylor Swift or something like that. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. just like just like staring. And, um, you know, I was just like taken back by that. And of course, everybody wants to play their best in front of her. But I just remember the first time she came to, you know, Story, uh, Queens, New York to come recruit me. And it was this surreal, like this woman who is an icon. And, and, you know, in my eyes, you know, a name that's synonymous with basketball is like in my house, in Astoria housing projects, like to recruit me. I was just in awe. I, I think I said to her at the time, I was like, oh my God, you look so fake. And I think my grandmother wanted to like choke me because she thought I was being, you know, disrespectful, but no, like Pat Summers in my damn house. So, you know, it went on to meet her coming to my home, me being a, a top recruited athlete at the time. I know that my grandmother was mainly concerned about someone that was going to give me that support, the structure and discipline that I needed and when I went to Tennessee, it was really different. I, I don't think a lot of people really understand sometimes like the, the cultural impact of a lot of uh, kids from the inner city going to like these small towns. And, and it was tough for me to the point where I wanted to transfer. I didn't enjoy it when I first got there because it was different, that fear, you know. And I just remember Coach Summit saying to me, like, I'm going to teach you what family is. And family is not necessarily blood. It's the people that show up and support you. 
And I'm also going to introduce you to this sisterhood. And once basketball started and once I met my teammates, uh, she was right. It was like we were just sisters. We were on a mission. And during my time at Tennessee, we had a lot of success. Uh, We won the three out of four uh, national championships. But the thing that I'm most impressed with is like at the end of the day, we all meet, you know, me, you and Jess, we've met all types of people, you know, some people you look up to. But I would say, like, Coach Summit, we know she was an amazing coach. I'm going to take that and just throw it out the window. I feel like I made the best decision because I had such a great mentor, a woman who, like, really pushed all of her players, not just to excel in the court, but to excel in life and be able to navigate uh, diversity. And I will always say it's like the whole thing they have now, we back Pat. And, yeah, because Pat, uh, I feel, has always backed us. You know, Like, she always ha- had my back as well as, like, other athletes. And I- I'm sure I'll say it, you know, Candace, Tamika, all of us. As someone who I was obsessed with Pat just because I was a kid loving basketball in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I read Raise the Roof. And I can understand how having Pat Summit in your home as a teenager, it would be, in my mind, it would have been like at the time having Julia Roberts in your home or something right, or right. some sort of celebrity in your home because that's how big of a figure she was to kids that were growing up playing hoops then. And I still, to this day, there's a Pat Summit quote And I won't get it perfect, but it's essentially her saying that when she coaches kids, she knows that we all have a tendency in the absence of feedback to fill that space with negative. And I feel like that is an applicable quote to sports. Yes, but really to life. And I think about it probably once a week when someone's like, hey, can you set up a phone call for next week? I have something I want to talk to you about. I'm immediately like, what did I do wrong? What's going to happen? You know, and I think about Pat Summit saying that in the absence of feedback, people fill in the gaps with a negative. So for someone who never, I mean, only met Pat Summit once and I have that quote in my mind, but you having like played and sweated alongside her, what are the things and what about her now like plays in your mind like what are those things that are on repeat for you oh my god i just host call host so you got to get that crafty little uh creature off your shoulder and that crafty little creature is the person like that speaks that negativity you know um just always on me you know you got to get through the tough times it's, it's going to be tough but you got to you know uh you know, pull up those bootstraps and work. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And that's something that has really, I really carry with me through my life. You know, just the journey, you know, ups and downs that we all go through. Like, you know what, I'm going to get through it. I'm, I can overcome it. And a lot of times I used to be like, oh my God, you know, she's just saying this. It's all, it's on repeat. It's repetitive. But, you know, I think it takes you leaving Tennessee. It, it took me stepping away, you know, to realize how much she was speaking life into us, you know? As a young kid, you're just like, oh, whatever. You just want to play basketball and, and take care of the books, you know. And here we are. We, we had a person that was really uh, giving us a toolkit. So I think that's what's special about it. But let me tell you, nicest lady and uh, an amazing cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my hurt. God. Ma- ma- amazing cook. And just like a real family geared towards family, really supportive individual. But man, on that court, though, oh, Jesus, man, it's like coach like who are you she just oh my god didn't stop the pushing you pushing you to get the best out of you you know what I'm saying you know I didn't got balls clipboard boards all types of things thrown at me because at times I was a hard-headed kid uh, from New York but um it was a a great relationship It, it was definitely one of the highlights of my life those years when you're playing with the three meeks and going undefeated and and winning those three national titles I think people forget how 
cultural phenomenon it was at the time mm -hmm. and how you guys were essentially like Beatlemania going on for women's basketball and you're selling out arenas and like you lived inside of one of those quote unquote moments, you know, where something transcends what it's supposed to be and catches fire for some reason, whatever those reasons may be, timing, talent, environment. What was it like being inside a moment that seemed to transcend out of just women's basketball? It was a moment which I felt like, you see, you see images of the interlock arms, which are your brothers or sisters, whatever people, that's what I felt like. I felt like it was a group of young ladies coming together. You know, we put aside like our differences, you know, because girls, you know, unfortunately, young ladies, we always sometimes have little bickering moments, but we were really all locked in. We wanted to win. We competed. We coached each other. That was the difference. Um, you know, we took the, the blueprint. We had a great coach. We were able to take it all and work hard in practice, but on the court, we were able to coach each other and doing it without ego. You know, it was players that would get on me and I'm like, okay, okay, I got to play some defense or me saying something to someone else. It didn't matter if you were the star or the last person on the bench, we all came together. And you add on the fact, you know, we're doing this too at a time like in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you got three black girls who are stars. Come on, Tamika, Shamika. <laughs> And Samika, like mm -hmm. the, the three minks, you know, I, I mean, we all been called each other's names, but it was just like something that was so dope, something that was so cool. And it doesn't get a lot of um, talk. You know, people don't talk about it a lot, but we were able to do some great things. Yeah, I felt like we're probably similar ages. Like there was that cultural moment of the Fab Five uh -huh. in Michigan when we were younger and wearing black socks and transcending and then i felt like y'all were the same version of that mm -hmm. but you were doing something and the way you were doing it just like i hadn't seen it before and it was being covered in a way that we hadn't seen it before and so that for like for all of us playing hoops at the time it was just such a beautiful moment to see and to witness oh definitely and for me you know i, I grew up here in uh i grew up in new york city and so at the time when you talk about sports i just remember like the liberty first coming and i'm a big teaspoon fan and i actually was telling her this a, a couple weeks ago and then remember i'm close to uconn and my high school coach mr canzera at the time i used to go to uconn games all the time and you know like wow rebecca lobo you know <laughs> like i got i have her poster and i'm like man uconn went undefeated wow, this is like the coolest thing. But here I am, you know, taking this chance to go away from home. And I wanted to create that, you know, someplace else. Like, I didn't know if it was something that was going to be feasible. But, you know, my dream started to become um, a reality. And it's like, wow, like I'm bringing this funk to a place where I didn't even want to be when I first got to campus. But, you know, we were able to, to work it out. And it was cool, like, because I remember seeing, I think it was Rebecca Lobo, I think I saw, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say Sports Illustrated many years ago. So my, my mind could be playing tricks on me. But then it was like, yo, Tennessee, we got a cover. I was on a cover of Sports Illustrated. It's like, cool, TV guy. Like, this is happening. The same thing that I saw Rebecca Lobo and the UConn team do. But now we're taking it up to a whole nother level. I mean, Coach Summers doing like GQ and the Armani suit. Like it was um, an unbelievable time uh, for women's sports. I would definitely say basketball, you know, because you got to grow the game and we took it to the next level. As you've watched over the last, you know, five to eight years, as you've both watched and been a part of the conversation around mental health, 
Mm-hmm. How has it changed, if it has changed, how you look back on your career and the moments where you were struggling? How do you look back and is there ever any like, oh, man, I, I wish I would have felt and known I could have talked more openly? Like, how do you look in the rearview mirror now? Man, I just wish I would have just like just spoke my truth and, and just been honest and put it out there. I think, you know, with the WNBA at that time, you know, being so new and then playing at Tennessee and again, having all this success and it being something that, you know, like I said earlier, to the next level, you know, we were doing such great things. I think that you think that you have to carry yourself a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Like as an ambassador of sport back then, it's stigma now, but it was really a lot more, more stigma. And so I was really afraid to just like talk about those things. I wish I would have. I feel like the kids today are a lot more self-aware. They, they don't care. They, they just tell you, hey, I, I have anxiety. I'm feeling this way. I, I can't practice today. And nowadays, you know, with certain rules in place, yes, they may be judged, you know, behind closed doors, but the coaches and people involved, you know, they have to listen, you know, with a, with a different ear. And, you know, we've gone through, I'm sure you being a sports reporter and all, also um, used to seeing people early on checking boxes, you know, so it was like, okay, this person speaks about mental health in the league. Okay, we got to check these boxes. We have to do this and do that and do that. And I felt initially that's all it was. But I, I, I feel now with more people, you know, especially COVID people coming out, expressing themselves and going through things, people realize and it's a serious thing that we need to um, address. And I feel like as far as stigma, I feel like, man, like with COVID, it, I think it really just took a hammer and just nailed it in the middle where it's like breaking away. Like people feel more comfortable and, and open. And I just think the younger generation, man, my hat goes off to them. I mean, just look at uh, Naomi and Simone at the height of their careers. Right. I mean, even, you know, we talk about Kevin Love, but I'm going to talk about those two young ladies because, you know, girl power, but come on, they're like the biggest stage, right? <laughs> like The biggest stage in their career. And they're like, hold up, wait a minute. You know, 10 years ago, you couldn't have done nothing like that. They were, or they were attacked, but they were also given that space and grace to kind of, you know, do what they have to do back then. It would have just probably kept going on and on and on and on. So I'm just proud of the way things are, you know, moving. Did you ever talk to Pat about even if the language wasn't what you would use now, knowing what you were naming, did you ever broach that stuff with her? Oh yeah, of course. I didn't really understand totally what I was feeling, but I don't feel good about about myself. I said a lot of amazing things are happening, but I don't know. I don't I don't feel good. I, I want to sleep all the time. That's how I described it. And um, her being, you know, uh, a person that just likes to, you know, fix things, I would say, like help you navigate it. She got me help. But the help that <laughs> initially I was like, no way am I talking to a sports psychologist. Because, you know, she's around a team, you know, I thought, oh, my God, if the team sees me talking to her, that means that I'm weak because I had no understanding of mental uh, illness at the time. But I talked to her some more and coach was able to get me therapy and allow me to go off campus. So that was like the first time, like outside of my home when I was younger, my grandmother, that I was able to like have that help, that support. Okay, just to stick a little bit longer on Pat, maybe just for myself, because I just loved her so much when I when I was a kid. But it's been hard, even as a non, you know, Lady Vol person watching the program, because the future of the program seemed like one direction. And then Pat gets this illness way too early. And now the UT program, although it's had moments, Mm -hmm. 
it is not the UT program and the trajectory that I think probably everybody anticipated. How can we get UT back? How can we get that back to the level that it feels like it should always be at? For my 15-year-old self, the Lady Vols should always be the top three in the country. <laughs> right. That's that's how I feel. And it's been hard to watch over the years. But I, I feel really good about my girl, Kelly Jolly Harper, my, my point guard. When I was winning championships, we came in together to Tennessee. And I think she's doing a great job. I think, you know, uh, it was just tough. I don't think anyone gave Holly a chance. You know, she had been, you know, I would say, well, Coach Summit over 20 plus years. And so you would think like, oh my God, you know, she knows what she's doing. She's a student, but the fans are spoiled. They were spoiled. Everything was like comparing her to Pat. Like, it's like, give this lady a chance. Like, who can work under those conditions? Like, you've had the greatest, right? And then it's just like constantly, you know, she never really got a chance. And I think she just ran her program different. You know, that's not a negative. You know, people are different. And um, I don't think many people liked it, you know, and it was a tough situation because I love Holly, but, you know, Kelly's been coaching, you know, she's a head coach at NC State. Um, is it still Southwest Missouri? I can't remember, but um, yeah, the school out in Missouri, I'm no disrespect. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, she's, she's back home. And let me tell you, when I go up there, when I've seen her and just seen her little, her son and her daughter and her son just moving around, it just took me back to, Coach Summit and watching Tyler grow up, you know, and so I'm excited that the ladies love her, you know, um, I think she brings a lot of excitement and she's been there. You know what I'm saying? She's been there. to the Jess and Kate show presented by Farm State Insurance. Did an incompetent man damage or destroy your property while trying to complete a simple task? Better call Farm State. Farm State's team of all female representatives will fix any fuck up that your idiot husband or brother made, whether it's the first time or the hundredth. Call Farm State today. Right, Jess, ah. did you catch the end of the MNBA finals last night? <laughs> the MNBA? The MNBA? I'm sorry, do people actually watch that? Some people watch that. I mean, people watch it who like watching gross, sweaty male basketball players pretending to get <laughs> back on defense. Oh, those dudes are so ugly, especially... <laughs> Those really, really tall ones. I mean, come on. Why would I want to watch males play that I have no sexual attraction towards? They're disgusting. Right? I mean, they're males and they're tall. It's like, ugh, it makes my skin crawl. I mean, dudes, if you are that tall, go back to cleaning my gutters or get something off of a high shelf for me, okay? No something one wants you're good to at. Watch it. Yeah, right? Nobody wants to watch you stand at the rim and drop the ball in. Oh, it is It is kind of cute to watch. It, it's, it's a little de- embarrassing. It's definitely cute, but it, yes, it is embarrassing. I mean, because we know that, like, I could beat them all one-on-one. And honestly, half these dudes, they can't even score without traveling. So do they know the rules? The traveling. Jess, <laughs> yes, the traveling. <laughs> 
Did you no, but besides the traveling, did you see the fight? They were showing like a highlights oh. clip from last year. Yes. Two male players from the gentlemen Lakers got into it. I mean, the men are so emotional. It is like, what are we doing here? We're sobbing, we're crying, yeah, we're, we're yelling, we're, the veins are bulging. Imagine being so emotional that you can't even shoot the ball anymore. <laughs> you can't do your job, okay, which a cute little job because you're so emotional. Why would I watch a sport where the superstars are head trauma cases, right. okay? <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> get that treated and then we'll talk. I yeah. mean, I only mentioned the finals because I thought since you have a teenage son who plays male basketball, he might have had it on in the background or something. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, we're letting him try everything a little bit. You know, even that's though important. There's, there's that's really good no parenting. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you know, try it, but come back afterwards. It's just something he does for fun. And yeah, uh, it keeps him in shape. Yeah. Most of the time. It's all the traveling that yeah. keeps him in shape, I think. <laughs> He's uh, learning good life skills. You know, it's it's fine. You know, if I'm lucky, it'll get him some kind of a scholarship because I think they give out money for this now. Uh, as long as he goes to college, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, the gentleman mowers won in a blowout. A blowout. Those games are always complete blowouts, you know? Oh, God. I mean, I mean, no disrespect. No disrespect. I'm the mother of a son. I just don't care for the MNBA. No, no. I've, I mean, of yeah. course not. I mean, I don't have a scent, but we all love males here. I think we that love goes without saying. We love males. Don't cancel us. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like I have to say it every show. We love males. We love men. Up next on the show, we'll have Sarah Smith, author of Males, Why the Inferior Gender Should Be in Prison. That's we'll be right one. back. Whoa. All right. Holy shit. You feel okay? Are you okay? No. What was that? Yeah, that was a trip. I don't know what planet in the multiverse we just went to, but that was definitely a different planet than this one. And it sounds like culture and society has developed very differently on that planet in the multiverse. Yeah, it sounds like the way that these women are performing um, sports radio is with the assumption that, like, they are superior genetically to men. Yeah. And that, like, men what? don't even belong playing sports. It's it's totally bizarre a world. Yeah, that is a planet in the multiverse that I don't know that we'll go to again, but it was... I hope not. I yeah. don't like that. No, I no, no. I don't like that world. I don't, I don't like... I don't want either, uh, either or any gender to be seen as so superior superior as was in that multiverse i mean like that that was that was clearly over the top but it I right mean, it, yeah. and kate i will say like i think when you or me or anyone says that they're a, a fan of women's sports and they have a, a sports podcast that centers women athletes that is what they think it's gonna be and so maybe this is a good time for us to just say like that's not what what this show is like mm -mm. i'm I'm the daughter of a father, okay? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I do, I, there are men that I love. Like, yeah. this isn't a, a man-hating show. Mm -mm. I also have previously known men that I really loved. So that is not the point of this show, is to, you know, be on a crusade, a man-hating I've had, I've had a, I've had a male dog before. What? Also. I'll, and you I, petted it? You petted it. Two, actually. You cuddled it? Two. And you I loved, loved it? it. I, 
I love Harry was a great dog. So was Eli. Great, I mean, great dogs. There's how could you hate men if you had a male dog and you were the daughter of a father? I mean, it's clear that this it's clear that this bit this was obviously performative and over the top. I mean, that's right, oh, it's course. over the top. No, no sports radio show would ever lambast women so intensely and so evocatively as the, as as the one we just read. That would just that would never happen, Jess. That would never happen. I enjoy many of the women's contributions to the sports. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> I can't even pretend that that's true. There are very few small handful of women who are any good at this at all. That's the truth. The amount of women talking in sports to the amount of women who actually have something to say is one of the most disproportionate ratios I've ever seen in my frickin' life. But here's a message for all of them. This is for all the women, all the guidance counselors, all the sensitive men, everyone who ever got their mail or lived in Tiburon. Here's something for you. All of this, all of this world of sports, all right, especially the sport of football, has a setting. It's set to men. Before we move on with the show, just flagging for you that that guy was real. Damon Bruce, KNBR Sports, San Francisco, actual radio host, actually said that. All right. Now... It's story time. A little something we call Extra Extra. Before the chartered buses and the catered meals that the Lady Vols of Tennessee would eventually come to enjoy, there were the early days when nobody did just one job. They couldn't afford to. Back in those days, the late 70s, Pat Summit wasn't just the head coach. She also washed the uniforms and drove the team van. A 16-seat white Ford with the gold UT crest on the doors. The team also had a station wagon. Pat, she drove the van. And she did so like she did almost everything. Very, very fast. The players would pile into the van with Pat and either an assistant coach or Debbie Jennings, the media director, would drive the other car the station wagon. This arrangement happened a hundred times over the years, but one trip in particular stands out. It was Christmas of 1978, and Tennessee traveled to Mississippi University for Women in Columbus for the school's annual holiday tournament. It was actually the second year in a row that Tennessee had played in this particular Christmas tournament. Here, Let's let Debbie Jennings, who spent 35 years working with Summit, help us tell the story. The Lady Vols had gone down there in 1977 and cleaned up, ran right through the tournament undefeated, and all was well, breaking for Christmas in, in Lady Vol land uh, as everybody went home happy and, and as a winner. But the next year in 78, Tennessee was ranked number one in the country on the heels of having, you know, enjoyed that lofty status the year before. And so they started out the season in, in the number one spot and bigger target on our backs. And so we go back to the Mississippi University for Women Christmas Tournament, you know, business as usual, right? We're going to, you know, win four games and, and head home for Christmas and all will be, you know, great in the world um, over the holidays. 
The Lady Vols were the best team there. And they should have won. Alas, they did not. A fact that left Coach Summit, um, irate. Seems we were already home for Christmas, she yelled at her squad. The next morning, the lucky players went home with their parents. The rest piled again into the van, with Summit behind the wheel and not a word being spoken. Pat was not happy, not happy at all. Um, we load up and nobody says much because Pat's upset and we didn't play well. And so the people that were left, you know, were all saying, boy, I wish my parents had come, you know, to the tournament and taken me home or they came and I said, I'd ride back with the team. So off we go to make the trip back to Tennessee. Debbie and the rest of the crew followed behind, noting that nobody in the vehicle ahead of them seemed to be talking or really even moving inside the van. A still life, the players faced forward, motionless. Debbie also noticed that they hadn't stopped for breakfast, and it was a seven-hour drive back to Knoxville. Okay, all right, that's cool, she thought, because at some point, of course, they'd need to stop for gas. A little while later, she picked up the CV radio, remember, this was the 70s, that connected the two vehicles. Finally, you know, I get brave enough to say, hey, Pat, you know, looks like we're gonna need to stop. Um, we need some gas. And, you know, I did not wanna say, you know, there were people that were requiring about maybe eating um, or making a pit stop necessarily. And so, you know, she was like, well, how much do you have? And I told her and she said, let me know when you, you know, you get down to like a eighth of a tank or something like that, below a quarter of a tank, like right below the quarter of a tank when you're almost at E. So everybody is like hearing that and they were hearing little CB transmission and they're like, "Ah." so on we go. So they keep driving. The tank keeps emptying. The needle keeps dipping. Debbie's concern keeps rising. Plus, people were hungry. So I let Pat know that we're really close to running out of gas and everybody was anticipating what was going to be for lunch. And so I said, Pat, um, we're going to need to stop. And I'd gone through my little gas cards that UET had. And I said, you know, it looks like we can go to this like Texaco, you know, that's probably closest. And and I knew that she probably needed gas too. And um, she said, no, we're, we're driving on. And I'm like, huh? And I'm like, well, really, I need to get some gas. And she said, um, reach down on the left side and there you'll see a lever. You'll feel a lever under the uh, dash. And um, I said, okay. And uh, she said, flip it over and tell me what it says. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. So I'm looking at the gas gauge and all of a sudden the needle starts going up and 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 up all the way to the like full and i'm like oh my gosh she goes it's got a secondary gas tank we're driving on to knoxville we'll see you there the van didn't stop until early afternoon until it was parked in the ut campus lot drive on drive on you know is what she said the night before summit had taken the van then the wagon and filled up both tanks, hell-bent on making her point. What point, you might ask? That's up for interpretation, but it's one of many stories that make up the Pat Summit lore. 
And I think if, over the years, you listened to Pat Summit share pieces of her own story, you'd start to understand why she'd do something like she did in 1978. Why she'd do everything in her power to instill in her players the reality of the world around them. There was no room for error. No luxury of ever, ever taking their foot off the gas. And here, here's Pat Summit, in her own words, telling us the story of those early years. This from the night she was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. And then in life, if you have opportunities come your way, you know, a lot of it is about timing. And the University of Tennessee and I have the administration there hired me as a graduate student to be the assistant coach. Timing was such that the head coach decided she would take a sabbatical. And she takes a sabbatical, and I was named head coach. So at 22, with four players, 21, I'm trying to figure out how to coach. One of the reporters asked me, you know, get great questions. And one of the reporters asked me, well, 27 years ago when you started coaching, did you think about being inducted into the Hall of Fame? I said, no, I was trying to figure out strategically where I could put all the flyers up on campus to attract the most talent to our tryouts. We didn't have recruiting and scholarships. I was trying to find someone in my graduate class that would actually come and volunteer their time as an assistant coach. And I had to learn how to tape ankles. I have players today tell me they're still scarred from all the taping that I did early on. Look at what's happened to women's basketball at the collegiate level and internationally. And it's just been awesome to be a small part of what's happened. And date little girls, all you guys that have those little girls, they can grow up and have a dream. And they can dream to get a scholarship and it can become a reality. And they can dream to be a representative of their country on the basketball court and it can happen. That is an amazing story, Kate. I love listening to Pat Summit talk, first of all. Her taping ankles is, is an incredible visual now when you think about how much support staff a major college program has. Even women's college oh. programs have trainers now, right? At D1 schools, I should yeah. say. But I just really enjoyed that. It harkens back to a, a different time that is hard to imagine now. I can't imagine that being a player actually in that van in 1978 was a great moment for them. Traveling all the way home, getting in at like 2 p.m. without stopping for breakfast. It sounds but miserable. It sounds so it sounds miserable. miserable. But it's one of those stories that, one, if you are one of those players, you go on and tell. And the fact that you didn't eat breakfast that morning is relegated to the you know the annals of history and meaningless compared to how it how emblematic it is of a time period and how emblematic it is of in this case pat summit and there's something about the stories of pat summit of tennessee of immaculata a small school outside of philly that won the first three national titles in the AIAW, but I won't get into terrible old acronyms. But these stories, even Betty Robinson in 1920s, like these stories of women playing sports and how much work and energy and pure love and hope they put into playing, 
they weren't caught up in the bullshit that we can get caught up in now. They were, it was so novel that they would be allowed to compete and fight for their place on the court, that that's all that mattered. It really reminds me of playing as a kid. And that's hard to recapture, that just feeling of how special it is to be on a team and have those that energy that comes up when you high-five someone and you make a great play when you're young. Like, there's something so special about that. And these stories, in this case of Pat Summit, really remind me of the purity of sport. And then there's Pat Summit's southern twang and the richness of her voice. Whenever I can, no matter what she's saying, I want to drop audio of Pat Summit uh, in this podcast. It also made me think of one of the, I think, most underrated, like, unspoken parts about being an athlete or being on a team which is the road trips and like the times Mm -hmm. where you're stuck with people where you're making your own activities to do out of thin air I mean maybe things have changed now because you can watch Netflix on your phone or whatever and put on headphones but I just remember vividly being a young athlete on one of these bus rides where it's uncomfortable and gross and smells like deli meat and everyone's nauseous, <laughs> but like we're having a great time. And and this is such a, this story like really vividly brought those memories back to me. It's funny that you say that because bus rides at all levels or car rides, if you were playing club and you know, your one parent had a van and so like four yeah. of you would travel to the tournament and the you old have a Honda case Odyssey. Of, <laughs> for us, it was a Dodge Caravan. Oh my God, my parents had a Dodge Caravan. My parents upgraded to a town and country at Ooh. one point. Yeah, that's some fancy shit right wow. there. And you know, you got like the Gatorade in the back and you got the snacks and you've got your teammates. I remember the last AAU tournament I ever played we pulled away, it was in Washington, D.C., we pulled away, and like six of us were in one of the parents' vans, and Sarah McLaughlin was on the radio, <laughs> and we were just... Go on. No, I'm done. <laughs> that might have been the exact song, but it was conjuring the end of an era for us, like this beautiful thing that we'd all done together. And I feel that very strongly in these stories that we want to tell here on Off the Looking Glass about female athletes across time and the things they had to do just to play and to be a part of that feeling that comes with being a part of a team. And even if it's a solo sport, there's still people you travel with. There's still obstacles you have to clear. So being able to conjure that energy, it's as elusive as the Christmas spirit, but we're still going to go for it. Yeah. It's one of those uh, stories that brings back the old, uh, Back in my day, we had to climb uphill both ways in the snow to get to school. Like Pat Summit had to, she lived in an era where she had to do everything and things are very different now. And maybe we're being too glowingly nostalgic about the past, but it is a past that I think isn't that distant and it's important to remember and, and to kind of smile when we think about now. All right, Jess, we covered a lot of ground today. I mean, not as much as the Lady Vols covered traveling from Mississippi to Knoxville. That's a lot of ground, too. But we've had Pat Summit, Shemequa Holdsclaw, The Jess and Kate Show, many rabbit holes. I mean, just the rabbit holes alone, the, the depth that we climbed. I mean, my iPhone is probably telling me I climbed something like 120 stairs. Yeah, I well, mean, we've gone deep and far. We, <laughs> we sure have, Kate. And... The rabbit hole to me, Candace Parker, I I don't think we can overstate how monumental of a moment this is for our podcast, that this happened Mm -hmm. while we were recording and we were able to talk about it. Um, We should give a big thanks to Shamiqua Holtzclaw for coming on the show. We should also thank 
Kirk from Fort Collins once again. Um, yeah, really, really looking forward to, to our dinner yeah. next weekend. Um, you pick, babe. And we should <laughs> we should thank uh, Nameless Numberhead for the Jess and Kate show, which is what we're we're calling that show that we will never never revisit. Maybe revisit maybe once or twice revisit. though. Maybe, maybe maybe never maybe. We should also thank you for both co-hosting this podcast and producing the podcast, as well as Carl Scott, who's the executive producer of this podcast and is responsible for the soundtrack for this podcast, which is always beautiful and compelling. So thank you, Carl. And Kate, who should we thank from that Pat Summit story that you wrote for us? Debbie Jennings, longtime media director for the Lady Vols. Thank you to her, as well as to Candace Parker and Bleacher Report and Taylor Rooks for that audio and Jess there's a small part of me that wonders if Candace had listened to the first couple episodes of this podcast and just felt emboldened by it oh I'm gonna I'm gonna go to sleep tonight believing that that is the case yeah I mean it's definitely not the case but you don't know that we can it is the case we'll see you next week for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.